Do you want to stay more focused on the right goals in your life or even just figure out what the right goals are for you? Do you want clarity? Do you want better work-life balance? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to Success Through Failure. Welcome to the Success Through Failure podcast, the show that reveals failure as your path to success. You'll listen to intriguing interviews with some of the most successful people on the planet and learn how their failures became a launchpad for success and how yours can too. Here's your host, former Division I All-American wrestler, former Division I head coach, speaker, and personal coach, Jim Harshaw. Welcome to another episode of Success Through Failure. Today, I bring you Jarek Robbins. Do you get motivation, clarity, or inspiration from the Success Through Failure podcast? Then don't be so selfish. Share the motivation with your friends. Go to jimharshawjr.com slash share, and there you'll find a simple page with just three buttons. One to share the podcast on Twitter, one for Facebook, and one for LinkedIn. Click any of the buttons, and you'll have the option to either share the pre-written tweet or message or rewrite your own. That's it. Super simple. It'll just take a few seconds unless you're selfish and you want to keep all of this awesome inspiration to yourself. Go ahead and let your friends in on the secret. They'll thank you. And if nothing else, you'll have something cool to talk about the next time you get together. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash share. Jarek is a number one best-selling author, keynote speaker, and performance coach. He helps businesses, brands, and individuals achieve rapid, measurable improvements in both work and life. His clients include entrepreneurs and professionals all the way up to Fortune 500 company executives. He's delivered thousands of speeches to tens of thousands of people worldwide, including the U.S. Marine Corps, U.S. Air Force, BMW, the Tampa Bay Rays, and at Harvard University, and, and many, many more, more that we can list here. And for the listener, as always, if you don't have time to, to listen to the entire episode or if you hear something you like but you don't have a chance to write it down, make sure you grab your free copy of The Action Plan. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action. Jarek, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for making time. So tell us a little bit more about your background. You, you know, where'd you grow up and uh, kind of a 30,000-foot view of, of how you got from, from there to here. Sure. Um, so I, I grew up in Southern California. Uh, born in Los Angeles, grew up in San Diego, and the the very very fast forward version of, of things that could bring you to an understanding of of what shaped me. Um, one, I, I, I most of my family struggled Im- immensely. Um, so so just figuring out you know how to pay the bills, how to put food on the table, how to take care of their their kids, like how to how to provide. Which is normal, very normal, but 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 that piece of of them fi- trying to figure that out gave me perspective of watching people work very hard. When, you know, um, I, I heard stories of my grandpa working three, four jobs on the side just to be able to put you know clothes on five kids, you know, and and take care of them and give them an opportunity. And I remember hearing my mom got into. Uh, UCSD oceanography school. Uh, but when she went to grandma and grandpa, they're like, well, if you could figure out how to pay for it, I guess go for it. And she uh-huh. couldn't figure it out. So she didn't get to go. And I was like, oh, and, and, and so moments like that, you know, hearing my grandma, uh, pack the family up in the car 
because she knew that getting a higher education degree was really important. So she'd pack the family up in the summer and drive to University of, of Colorado Boulder to go do summer classes to try to get her, her degree finished. And I was like, wow, how cool. Um, fast forward, a couple of members of my family uh, broke out of the mold and, and figured out how to, how to be you know, successful at what they do. My, my grandma's one of them, my dad's one of them, and, and they both, and there's a few others, but they, they carved a niche um, and, and what it is they wanted to do. And, and they, they turned it into reality. And so I was blessed growing up that I had the ability to kind of see both situations unfolding in front of me and, and, and both to become very normal, you know, working two, three jobs just to pay the bills was a normal thing. If you have to do it, do it. Uh, at the same time, being extraordinary at, at something allowed you to, to earn way more than you could ever need and, and take care of many more people beyond, you know, just your current circumstance, which was impressive. And I was like, wow, that's possible. And look, look how he did it. This is cool. And look how she did it. That's neat. Um, and then piecing that all together, uh, went through school, wasn't the hap- wasn't the healthiest human being. Uh, I remember five foot nine, 225 pounds, eating an extra large cheese pizza every Friday before basketball on Saturdays <laughs> as, a, as a teenager. Uh, I could run a mile in about 18 minutes flat. If you wanted to time <laughs> me, that's not fast. <laughs> you know, it's pretty, pretty slow. Um, and, and some things changed right around probably 16, 17 years old. Uh, I, I remember I sat down and I, I decided to apply a lot of what I've heard growing up and it's saying that so many people say the, all this stuff works, personal development and getting healthy and being focused and having goals. So I, I sat down, tried to get a group of friends together and we we're going to do it together. I'm the only one who stuck to it. They all were like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, and, and it was amazing. You know, I, I got in shape, started running marathons, became a straight A student, got into the college I wanted to go to. And I was like, wow, it's worked. This is amazing. Like things were changing in my life. Uh, fast forward from there. First job was was Blockbuster Video or security because I was, again, a big kid. Um, <laughs> and I guess I scared off all the bad guys who were trying to steal them DVDs on a Friday <laughs> night. Uh, but but that was my first job. Second second actual job was was working at our family's nonprofit, which was neat. It was interesting learning the simplicity and, and the complexity of just simple business. So answering the phones and running the mail and doing anything they needed me to do. Uh, fast forward from there, went went to school. I was working on my my bachelor's in psychology. During school, I decided to take a, a trip that became a fundamental changing point in my life, which was semester at sea. Uh, growing up, I was at a point in time where, um, you know, MTV music videos used to play music videos every morning yeah. when I was getting ready for school. My favorite one to watch, I actually recorded it. Don't tell anyone on a VHS because, you know, tape and I used to play it every morning when I would get ready, <laughs> which was hypnotized by Biggie Small and nice. Puff Daddy. That was the coolest thing in the world. And I'm, you know, visualizing someday growing up and being awesome like these guys. And, and, and so materialism, stuff, wanting to accumulate, wanting to be cool, wanting to dress cool and have cool shoes and outfits and eventually cars and houses and all that jazz was very high on my list as a young person. Um, semester at he changed all that. Uh, one of their you know, monumental thoughts that they throw out there is you become a citizen of the world as you take a lap around the world on a cruise ship. 110 days, you literally go from um, Vancouver all the way through Asia, Africa, all the way wrap it back around and drop off in Florida uh, with one semester and all your professors are on board. You go to school each day when you're at, at sea and, and you study and everything that you're studying, you then land in a port like China and you get to walk 
onto the mainland and and see everything you're learning in in actual life, real tangible right in front of you. So I was studying cross-cultural psychology and um, all kinds of different versions of, of psychology. And then I'd walk into a place and realize, wow, that's really how it goes here. This is amazing. And I get to see collectivism versus individualism and how, you know, the family units work and culture clashes and all kinds of stuff. It was incredible. Uh, on that trip, a couple of things that really changed. And I'll slow down here just because these ones are important. Um, when we got to places like India, China, South Africa, basically the majority of the world, I, I started to see that most places weren't anything like what I grew up around, not even close. And, and so I remember in South Africa, we walked in and we were doing a tour of a shantytown and we walked into this little apartment that was a one room apartment, uh, kind of like the size of a, a dorm room in the US for, for a student. And it had two single beds, the small beds like a dorm room would. But this was considered a two-family room. And there was a family of five people that slept on each bed. I was like, wow, holy mackerel. Like, ain't that different? And, and then going outside and, and, you know, as tough as that sounded, walking right outside the front door of the place and into a town that was made up of these little tin houses that people put together and, and being told, hey, at different times throughout history, a bulldozer would show up once a week and literally run over everybody's house wow. and tell them you got to move. And then they would come back that night and try to rebuild and put their house back together and, and live to have a little shelter. I was like, wow, wow. And then we got to places where, you know, I remember getting to the, the remote villages in, in Uganda and Tanzania and just seeing people live in like little mud huts with thatch roofs and being like, wow, I mean, I've, I've heard of this stuff in history. I didn't think people still live this way every day and, and then just being blown away. Um, and, and it kind of cracked open my heart. My aunt said, when, when I got home from that trip, I was a different human because when I was younger, I wanted to accumulate stuff. And when I got back, all I wanted to do was give it all away. And, and something had, had transformed where I realized that we had way more than we really needed. And, and there's other people out there who need access to this stuff. And, um, at that point I decided to join a nonprofit or an NGO, flew back over to Uganda, started teaching organic farming and English in the villages and, and trying to help as much as I could with, with things that I think would really make an actual substantial difference to someone. So places where there were no food, going there and helping with organic farming and being able to help produce food and, and, and get them up and going and moving and, and you know, hopefully flourishing again. Um, uh, on that trip, uh, two things. One, I started to notice that people could find deep meaning and purpose in such simple things. There was a little man that swept leaves every morning outside of a clinic and, and I, I just noticed that he was so happy and, and so alive in what he did, even though it was just, you know, he was the caretaker of the little clinic. And so we went and interviewed him and he, he, he taught us something beautiful. He said, the reason I sweep the leaves is because I believe every human being, whether they're a small child about to enter this world or a sick or elderly person about to leave this world, I believe they deserve a clear path to do so. And I remember sitting wow. there going, wow, this guy finds a lot of purpose in sweeping leaves. He's basically the janitor of the clinic. But it's so much more to that to him because of the meaning he's given it. I'm like, wow, that, that's a great lesson. Um, so, you know, there were positive lessons there and then there were challenging lessons there. At the same time, uh, growing up in Southern California, uh, we believe that you can heal pretty much anything with enough green drink and meditation. Um, <laughs> I, I attempted to meditate and, and vegetable juice my way out of malaria. That wasn't <laughs> the smartest thing I've ever done in my life. Uh, the doctors all laugh at me when I say that still to this day, they laugh <laughs> whenever I 
say that that's even an option. They're like, <laughs> yeah, that didn't work out. They all know in advance whenever I bring it up. Um, Worth a shot, though. Yeah, hey, it worked Maybe. on a headache, it worked on a cold, <laughs> worked on a stomach you know, bug, worked on all kinds of stuff growing up. Why not malaria? Not malaria I believed though. it. So I went for it. Um, and at one point, you know, in that same village, a doctor sat me down and was like, hey, pal, let me show you how it works. Malaria is a parasite in your blood. It, it feeds on water, so it's going to dehydrate you immediately. Then it's going to go lay eggs in all your other red blood cells. Every eight to ten hours, they're going to hatch. They're going to explode out of the cell and kill the cell. Uh, currently, right now, according to the machine over here and, and my calculations, you got about 55,000 parasites per one red blood cell in your body. Um, that means, let me do some math, and he did all the math, and he's like, that means you got about six days left. Wow. And I remember at 20 years old sitting there thinking, that was not the plan. <laughs> <laughs> give, me more, give me more than V8. Yeah, like, you know, I don't I don't know how much vegetable juice I'm going to have to drink to kill off this malaria crap, but uh, I'm going to need some more veggies. <laughs> and and he started laughing. He goes, that's not going to help. <laughs> you know, he's like, we're going to need you to take the medicine. And I was like, nah, I don't know. Not a huge <laughs> fan of this stuff. Um, and so we went back and forth and finally it hit a point where, where, you know, important topics started to stir up. When you're told you have six days left to live, you start realigning your values almost immediately sure um you know trying to be on a yacht with hot girls and cars and all that stuff really doesn't matter <laughs> at that point right. you're like who cares um but but being able to see your family again makes a big difference being able to um you know uh, how to define and, and a friend of mine later wrote a book where he had a near-death ex- accident and he said there's really three questions you got to answer when you're faced with that moment and and the first question i was lying there asking myself was you know did i really live like if all I got were these 20 years, did I really live? Did I really take the opportunities when life put them in front of me? Or did I shy away from the special moments? Did I, did I, was I too scared or too fearful or didn't have the guts to, to go for it when life gave me an opportunity? And I was like, no, I feel like I'm really living. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to check that one off. Like I just took a ship around the world. Now I'm living in a village, teaching organic farming, the people who need, need the assistance. Like I, th- I think I'm living life to the fullest right now. And the second question is, did you really love? And I remember thinking, oof, okay. You know, this one was was a little gut-wrenching because I knew there were moments where I could have shared more of my heart, shared more love with humans around me, whether it's an intimate relationship or a friendship or a family member or just random stranger, just pouring my heart and soul into the moment. And I knew because, you know, I had my heart broken as a kid and I was sad and stuff like that. That, that there was definitely a little fear that kept me from giving it all because I was afraid I was going to get hurt again. Like, man, I could, do, I could do that better. And so there's kind of that little weird dilemma where I laid there going, ugh, you know, if I get more than six days, I'm going to practice loving on people, like just giving <laughs> my heart and soul every moment I can. And then the third one was, did you matter? That, that's a tough one to swallow. I was like, you know, yeah. if I were to die in six days, I mean, my mom would remember me, my grandma, my 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 family, but would anyone else care that I was here? Like, did I matter? Will will, will anything exist beyond my physical presence on this planet that that's that, that's memorable that people are going to look back and go, wow, thank God that person was here? Um, I was like, I don't know. I mean, it, it matters to the, the the villager that I helped yesterday, but I don't I don't know how far that'll go. And, and so that one became something important to think about for me, which was like, huh, how would I have to start living that 
even if I only had these six days left, I would know that I lived fully. Like I really took life by the horns and squeezed every ounce I could get out of it that I loved deeply, that I poured my heart and soul into every moment that I could with another human being and, and poured every ounce of love I could into them. And, and how would I have to live so that I know I would matter far beyond my physical presence on this planet? And I remember scratching my head and, and I, I started to come up with something I called my ideal day, which, which was just designing a day that would be so rich, so fulfilling and, and, and so f- full that, you know, nothing else would really matter. And then so, you know, since then, came back. Uh, for anyone wondering, I, I did make it through the malaria. Some people freak out. <laughs> and, 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 How's it end? Yeah. Did, did, you, did you make it? Did, what happened? <laughs> I'm <laughs> still live? here. That was a while ago. I'm 34 now, so I've, I've got about 14 years that I'm still ticking. Luckily, it wasn't six days. It turns out to be 14 years plus at least one more tomorrow. And I'll so, keep far. Going. Uh, so far? So far, so good. But the, the, the big piece there w- was those things kind of set foundation to, to where I've landed up today. Wow. So where do we start? Geez, what a what an incredible story! And there's so many lessons that we can take out of this. And and so let's start with this, Jarek. Some you talked about semester at sea and, and going to experience all these different cultures. And I've traveled quite a bit. My wife has traveled quite a bit. We like to travel. We've seen these things. We want to expose our kids to seeing different cultures. We haven't traveled overseas much with the kids yet, but we want them to experience that as well because you know, these different ways of life are out there and there's other people who have a fraction of what we have, but you know, again, they can attach different purpose and meaning to it and and, and be just as happy or happier. So we all know this. So for everybody listening to this podcast, Jerk, we know this. Everybody knows this, right? We can see it on TV, we can see it on the internet, we we see it everywhere, right? That 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 there are these these people living in 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 conditions that we wouldn't you know, wish upon our worst enemy, but we still seek more, right? We live, for anyone listening to this podcast, you live better than a king just a hundred years ago. And so, Jarek, why do we have such trouble being happy and being grateful when we know inherently, we know logically that we have so much, but we continue to want more stuff, right? Nicer car, nicer house, more money, better vacation, different this, better that. Um, so it, it's a concept of the power of both. Uh, I had, had another opportunity when I was just about two years into my first sales job out of university. So I, I graduated my BA in psychology and I did what most people do and did not use the degree and, and went straight into outside door-to-door, office-to-office sales. <laughs> Brilliant use of four sure, years of education. Of <laughs> I've got an environmental science degree. So, so I'll, I'll show you how I applied the degree later. Um, and, and But uh, straight into sales. And and it, w- it was probably the best learning experience of my life beyond the, the education is just because you, you have real life education. Like you, you learn what it takes to actually land in a city where you don't know anyone, you have no connections, you have nothing set up and, and to, to build a business and, and by adding value to the community around you. And that was always an underlying goal. I said it was, more, you know, in my mind, it was more important to learn the actual life skill than it was the, the, the knowledge, quote unquote, because the knowledge is great. It's good to know all kinds of useful information. Uh, but, but my thought is nowadays you need the life skill. You need the application of the knowledge. Otherwise, the knowledge itself doesn't do a whole lot. And, and so 
um, you know, that door-to-door, office-to-office sales job was important, learning how the world really works, how people actually respond, how how I responded when I was in a position to do something uncomfortable, like go knock on an office I've never been to and say, hey, can I do a presentation? Oh, okay, great, thanks. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's uncomfortable. Um, and, and so while I was doing that, that, you know, in, in sales, it's usually about more, 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 bigger, 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 better, better, better. That That's the concept of sales. Um, and, and, and that's how you succeed is you sell more, you earn more business, you deliver more value that you keep going. Uh, well, well, while I was in sales, I went and took a trip to a, a course called oneness. Um, it's a group from India and they, and they, you know, it's a very Eastern foundational thought process of, of figuring out how to become one or realize you've always been one with everything around you. And so I remember sitting down and, and thinking through this whole process and getting to the point where I was like, wow, I'm very peaceful. Seven days of meditation and silence and, and learning and, and evolving and, you know, peeling back the onion. And all of a sudden I found this deep peace and just being like nothing needs to be changed. Everything's perfect as it is. Uh, that royally jacked up my sales numbers for the next three months. Hmm. <laughs> you know, we'd get to the end of the presentation. I'd say, who wants to sign up? And people would be like, I'd love to, but, uh, you know, I don't have the money right now. And instead of, uh, bringing forth the conversation of that's probably the reason why you need to sign up, I'd go, you know, everything will happen at the exact moment it's yeah. supposed to. That's right, okay. Right. <laughs> Everything perfect as it is. Anyways, have a great day. And I'd walk out with no oh, business. My, my boss was not excited about that. <laughs> sure. And then he'd be like, what do you mean? Didn't you close the deal? And I'm like, no, it happened as it's supposed yeah, to. Yeah, I was one with them. Yeah. yeah, we were one with the moment. Everything was great. So I've learned that finding inner peace uh, doesn't allow, doesn't really make a great platform to grow your business rapidly. Um, I've also learned that growing your business rapidly doesn't create a good platform for inner peace alone by themselves, just doing one or the other. Um, what I have learned though, is the integration becomes a good challenge. And, and that integration is stepping back and saying, Hey, wait a minute. What if I do this inner peace stuff between, you know, the moment my eyes open to maybe like eight and or nine or t- 10 in the morning, pure meditation, yoga, spirituality, prayer, uh, read the Bible, you know, do, do what you do to be in pl- this amazing, blissful centered place. Have some type of transition ritual right around, you know, right before you go in. So let's say you want to start at nine. So 8 o'clock, you start this transition ritual where you get amped up, fired up, goal-driven, purpose-driven. You're locked on a mission. And by the time, you know, the bell rings and it's time to go, you come full force into that day and you just crush it. Now have a transition ritual sometime towards the end of the day where it allows you to wind out of that energy and wind back into that spirituality, centeredness, calmness, presence of just being. I was like, wow, if I could figure out how to do that, that'd be pretty amazing and intense at the same time. Because then I'd get to experience the best of both worlds. I'd get to wrap my day in this amazing blissfulness of centeredness and peacefulness and calm. And then during the day, I'd get to access the craziness and chaos and intensity and drive to make shit happen. And the combination of both feels really nice when we could pull it off. So you have those rituals now and do you use those regularly? Absolutely. And and so the morning, things that qualify, meditation, yoga, reading the Bibles, prayer, spirituality, all these different elements uh, allow that peacefulness and calmness and space to just be. And then realizing everything's perfect as it is. 
Yeah. Um, you know, beautiful transition ritual for me is going to the gym, getting a badass workout in, you know, facing death, taking weights that are far beyond what I can do and finding a way to push, to force through that and, and train my body to find a way past the current limitations. In that moment, I come back, adrenaline's flowing, testosterone's pumping, and I'm ready to freaking conquer some shit. So turn it on, you know, lock in. What is the outcome for the day? What's the number one thing that must be accomplished today to make today a victory? Let's get this shit done. Let's go. And you push and push and push and push and push and push and go, 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 go. And then the end of the day rituals. Um, now all kinds. When we're in San Diego, we have a hot power fusion yoga class we love because it's hot. There's music playing and you're just stretching and decompressing from the day, letting it all flow out. And, and after that, it, I mean, it feels like you're freaking Gumby walking out of there because you're all stretched and relaxed and, huh. and then you just get to be and enjoy and realize the beauty that is as you, as you get back home. Wow. That's awesome. So I have, uh, I have my own morning routines and morning rituals and never really thought about the transitional piece. And that's, that's an important piece that I'm going to, I'm going to start looking into, um, Jarek, a lot of people listening to this podcast, you, you mentioned application of knowledge. A lot of people who are listening to this podcast, they listen to this podcast, they listen to other podcasts, they read personal development books, they maybe go to seminars, et cetera, and they, they take all this stuff in, right? They learn, they learn, they learn. How, how do they take that and begin to live it? How do you take all this knowledge, all this information, and actually apply it so that you can live it instead of continuing to think about it and chase it. Cool. Um, so, so this process, I was invited a long time ago to be on a leadership panel at Harvard. And, and while I was there, it was an interesting situation where they, they put us on the panel and they introduced the gentleman sitting to my right. And he was the tenured leadership professor at Harvard who teaches the course on leadership. He's written multiple books on the topic. They read his whole bio and they said, sir, what's your philosophy on leadership? And he said something just amazing. And then they came to me and they said, well, here, why don't you introduce yourself? And they handed me the mic. <laughs> and I looked at him like, seriously, are you guys setting me up? Like <laughs> he gets a bio read and I get, why don't you introduce yourself? Okay. Who's this guy? Like, let's, okay, fine. And, and so, you know, I thought about it for a half second and I was like, well, I could sit here in front of all these, you know, graduate students who are very smart, top of the class and what, everything they do. And I'm like, I could try to tell them all the things I've accomplished, but what the hell good does that do for them? Like, it doesn't do much. It makes me sound cool, but it doesn't do anything for them. So I said, listen, I could tell you all the stuff I've done, but I think it's a waste of your time. Um, so instead I'll skip to my leadership philosophy. And, and I said, it's really just three parts. Um, number one, uh, you know, learn what it takes to have the life or the results you really want to achieve. So learn it. Uh, number two, live it, apply everything you've learned and, and get the actual results. I've learned in life that you, you, your, you know, your actions speak so loud that, that it's hard to understand the words coming out of your mouth, meaning figure out how to apply it so that you're actually a walking, talking, breathing, moving example of, of what it is when you apply that knowledge. And then three, when you figure out what works for yourself and others, uh, give it, pay it forward, find a way to share it with people around you and say, Hey, here's what it's working. And it's not as the five freaking golden pillars of life. It's more or less as, Hey, here's what's working for myself. Here's what's working for our clients. I hope it helps you take it and go. If you want it, use it. If you don't throw it away, who cares? But, but here's what's working. And, and I said, yeah, that's my, my philosophy. Learn it, live it, give it, learn what it takes, live it fully, and then find a way to pay it forward. I said, thanks for having me. Pass the mic to the next guy. <laughs> Beautiful. Of course, as I passed the mic, they read his bio. 
He's the head of U.S. national security of cyber defense, blah, 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 blah. Now they, okay, he's obviously a huge deal. So they professionally read his bio and they hand him the mic and said, sir, what is your leadership philosophy? And and the next thing that happened, put my jaw on the ground, because I, I think I just, knock on wood, got lucky in the moment. That's at least how I felt um, when, when he stopped and he said, you know, ma'am, uh, I think what the young man to my right just said about leadership is one of the best definitions I've ever heard. I'm wow. going to go ahead and concur with that. <laughs> That's great. I was like, what just happened? That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like, I definitely felt like I was being thrown under the bus, and this dude just saved my he ass. He just pulled you back out. <laughs> I'm like, that was pretty cool. Um, but it made me sit back afterwards and think about it of like, wow, I really do believe in my heart of hearts that if more people use that concept, and, and so the concept mm-hmm. you're talking about is what do you do to get people to live it and apply it? Um, it's three parts. So that's one part of the process. First, they got to learn what it takes to get the results they want. Then they have to apply it. Now, how do you get someone to apply it is different for different people. Um, some people are moving away from people, meaning their whole life has been moving away from pain. And therefore, they will only apply knowledge if it moves them away from an immense amount of pain. Now, if you're that type of person, all you have to do is create immense amount of pain in your life around what you don't want to do and you'll move away from it. Easy peasy. Other people are moving towards people, meaning they they take all their effort and they move towards what is exciting or feels good or what they want. And, and if you're one of those people, you just need to create the vision out in front of you so exciting and so enticing and so real and so so luscious that you do everything you can to get there. Most people are a combination of both. So you got to do both. You got to make it really painful to stay where you're at and really exciting to go where you want to go. And all of a sudden, you'll see yourself starting to consistently apply what it is that you've learned until it's no longer uncomfortable or painful to be where you're at. And then you'll see yourself stop. So you need to practice in your own mind learning how to produce both pain and pleasure on demand and stack them emotionally until they turn into your emotional rocket fuel that drives you forward. So would this be an example? When I was competing when I was wrestling, one of the things that I wanted to do was to be a division one All-American. I wanted to be a national champion, actually. And uh, after my sophomore year, it was a year of another failure. Uh, I got to the national championships, did not make it onto the podium. And I actually went home and I wrote down all of my gut-wrenching, heart-wrenching feelings that I was feeling in that moment. The tears flowing down my face as I wrote this about the pain. And I wanted to retain that painful feeling because I knew that would motivate me throughout the year. And every once in a while, if I felt like not working out or if I just needed a little kick in the rear end, I'll pull it out and I would read it and it would bring all this flood of emotion back in. Is that what you're talking about in terms of like, you know, creating the pain or creating that, that pleasure that you want to either move toward the pleasure or away from the pain? I guess I had both because I would visualize also myself on the podium or winning matches. Is that what you're talking about? The visualization or or maybe journaling, writing these things down? Yep. You can write it down. You can stack it in your mind. Um, and, and how you know when you have enough, because people say, well, if I write down the top most 10 most painful things, is that enough? And it's like, well, it could be or it couldn't be. How do you know when you have enough things written down? How many painful things how many pleasurable and exciting things? Well, I'll tell you, keep writing down back and forth. You know, start off with 10 painful consequences of not taking action. Write down 10 pleasurable results if you, you know, or, or benefits of taking action. Keep writing them. And then at one point, um, if you have 10 and you're like, yeah, it sounds nice, but I'm not feeling anything, 
then keep going back and forth and keep stacking one at a time on both lists until you find yourself in a position that you can no longer not do anything. Like to the point where you write down, let's say you get to 27 on each side and all of a sudden you're like, I, I have to do something now. And you stand up and run out of the room to go do it. Yeah. There it worked. Yep. Right. <laughs> but keep writing until literally like it would take a small army to try to keep you from getting this done. Yeah. Because at that point you have enough. Enough means you're physically in motion handling it now. Mm. Um, if you're not physically in motion and you're just all fired up going, oh, yeah, I'm totally going to handle this next Thursday. <laughs> no, that's not enough. When you have enough, you will be like, give me the damn phone. Get the person in the room. We need to yeah. fix this now. Right. And they'll be like, no, no, we'll do it next Thursday. And you're like, bullshit, move, get it done now. That's when you know you have enough because you will be compelled to immediate action. You know, I lean heavily upon my experience as an athlete and sort of translate that into real world, how you can create peak performance in the real world. And that's one of those things that, um, I'll be honest, Jarek, I, I didn't really think of how to implement that in my life until now. In, in terms of, I know how I did it as an athlete. I know now how I can do that in the real world, how to, yep. how to capture that and move away from pain. So for those of you who are my clients listening right now, uh, this is going to be something that we're going to be working on. So this is, uh, this is fantastic. Derek, you've had an incredible amount of success in your life, um, incredible amount of experiences. Um, you've spoken to some of the top brands and names and organizations in the world. Uh, you coach some of the highest performers in terms of executives, Fortune 500 company executives, et cetera. Can you tell your number one best-selling author? Can you tell us about a time when you failed? Can you tell us about a time when you failed and you felt that that hopelessness or that despair that comes with failure and how you move through that? Yeah, all the time. Uh, failure is a regular, often thing that happens everywhere, all the time. Um, from, I mean, the simple stuff of putting together an ad campaign and running it and being like, wah, wah, that flopped," uh, to. Um, you know, uh, thinking I have a, a a great thing to share with my wife and sharing it and accidentally hurting her feelings and being like, whoa, that sucked, um, to hiring the wrong people and having them jack up parts of our business and be like, oh, crap, that sucked, to uh, I think a fun one was, you know, one year we decided to do events all over the world. So we had events in Tokyo and London and, and in Europe and in, in the U S mainland and in Canada and all over the place. We had like 22 events in one year all over the world. Um, and then at the end of the year we made more money revenue wise than we ever made. And, and then, you know, we lost profit wise, like we were negative. And so I remember having an accountant sit down, look at our books and say, Hey, you know, if you would have just stood home and done nothing all year, like literally just sat there and <laughs> stared at the wall, you would be richer right now than you than than you are uh, at this very moment. I said, excuse me? And they said, literally, if you would have sat home and done nothing, you would have had more money in your bank than you do right now. I was like, are you wow. trying to be rude? He's like, no, I'm being honest. He's like, how do you think you did? And I'm like, I think we killed it. We, we did events in 20, 22 places all over the world. We, we helped thousands of people. We made a ton of money, all this other stuff. He's like, yeah, but you lost money. He's like, that was stupid. And I started, I was like, oh, I hate this guy right now. <laughs> um, but, but as simple as it is, it's like we fail all the time. The, the key is we try to learn quickly. So, so I, I sat with him and I was like, hey, how do we fix this? And he's like, well, 
You know, look look at your your profit optimization centers, the places that make the most profit. Look at the places that make the most revenue but don't make any profit, and uh, cut those ones out and focus on the the profit optim profit optimizers. And we did it, and all of a sudden, you know, we've been able to grow month over month over month over month over month, year over year, and 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 it's fabulous on the other side. But the, those lessons of failing and being like, well, that sucks, are, are, are my favorite moments only because we're, we know we're about to learn something. We know something good's about to come if, A, we learn it, and B, we apply it immediately. Um, a, a lady I met took, came around the world on, on the semester at Sea Cruise Ship, and I met her when she first got back to port. And she says, you know, life will send you a whisper. And if you listen, you get the lesson, and you get to move on to the next stage. If you don't listen to the whisper... Eventually, life will need to get your attention, so it'll throw a brick at you, smack, <laughs> right upside the head. And that one hurts like hell. It's like, oh, crap, that hurts. Something falls apart. Something just stings real bad. And if you listen, you, you apply the lesson, you get to move on to the next level. If you don't, life will eventually circle back around and burn your whole damn house down to you pay attention. Yeah. And she goes, you know, I guess the, I guess the lesson is listen to the whispers. And I remember being like, ooh, creepy lady. Uh, but... <laughs> That's an awesome freaking lesson. You know, if you listen to the whispers, though, if, if you yeah. look at a failure where you get dropped down and you learn quickly, you can adapt and evolve. Uh, I think the biggest failure moment was probably being told I had six days left to live because my whole philosophy of green drink and meditation was not working. Hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, that that's probably the darkest, deepest moment because it, it causes soul searching and you got to sit down and go, shit, I need another way to go about this. Or at least the way I'm using right now is ineffective I'm going to need a better solution. And I'm also going to need to learn the lesson. Now, the lesson is probably one of the most important parts of that experience because whatever lesson or meaning you apply to the situation is going to stick for a long time in your life. And so I could have said, well, the lesson is meditation sucks and it never works. That's not the lesson. The lesson is, you know, for me, it was sometimes, hey, I need to pay attention to what I'm valuing. And I needed to realign what's most important to me and focus on those things with the most amount of time every day because I never know if I'm going to have another day. Yeah, well said. And it's taking those moments and, and identifying what meaning do I attach to this? Do I say, I'm a failure? I can't do this. This is another example. This is more proof. Or do you say, I'm now smarter and wiser for having done this? If I try this again, it will be better, or I can change my tactic, change my courses, change my course of action, and and do something a little bit different, and that's going to be better. That it depends on the meaning that you attach to that. So, Jarek, thank you for the wisdom. I appreciate your time. Appreciate you making time to come on the show. Can you tell the audience where they can find you, follow you, learn more about you, etc.? Awesome. Uh, easiest way, just Google me, Jarek Robbins, J A I R E K R O B B I N S. Uh, it'll bring up our website, Google, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. Um, if you're looking for a stream of uplifting, positive, and insightful content, join us on Instagram. Um, if you're looking for our programs and products and all that jazz, go to jerkrobbins.com and it has access to all that stuff. Um, yeah, I guess that'd be easy. Excellent. And for the listener, you don't have to memorize all that. We'll have all that right in the action plan for you. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action. We'll have links to everything Jarek just shared there, as well as bullet points, action items, etc., and the best stuff from this episode and, uh, and every other episode for that matter. Jarek, thank you for making time to come on the show. 
So very welcome. Thanks for having me. And for the listener, until next time, take the time to get clear on your goals and embrace failure as a stepping stone on your path to success. Thank you.